I can't sing, so JT. I also can't sing. I don't know if you heard that, but it's not a thing. <laughs> well, I'm so much worse a singer that to me it sounded like a thing. We need to hang out more. I guess. <laughs> Karaoke time. Here we go. Oh, man. If I could sing, I would be insufferable at like a Starbucks drive through because I'd sing all the time. Do you think you might sing uh, Italian opera music? I would try. And what a beautiful segue, almost like we knew. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get right into it this week. And uh, we're going to start with something new that I'm going to call I Just Watched. Hey, Jeremy, guess what I just watched? Um, did you just watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze? I did. I didn't. didn't. <laughs> no, because it keeps coming up on this podcast. I finally watched Breaking Away. Huzzah! Yay! I did it. Now, all right, spoiler, I knew he he watched it because he was texting me the whole time. And in fact, the moment he started texting me, I basically texted back, so where are you now? Threw in the DVD because I have it on DVD and watched from there to the end. And uh, it was it was a delight to join in the virtual experience. Yeah, I, it was... First of all, that was fun. That's like one of the first times I think I've ever done that intentionally, where it was like, you were like, what, where are you in the movie minute wise? And I was like, oh, it's like an hour six or whatever. And you're like, okay. And I was like, oh, cool. We're like actually kind of co-watching this now. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of fun. And with no apps or anything, it just sort of worked. No, it was just like me watching, you watching, but being able to like text in the moment, knowing we were roughly at the same spot. So what I've done is pre- pre- prepared a, a little series of questions for, um, for JT here to find out uh, if we can put a little bit of a fun structure around how he watched uh, Breaking Away. So JT does know the questions I'm going to ask. Uh, they're sort of shoot from the hip kind of things. And not one of them is like a, is, there's no gotchas in here. All right, JT, you ready? I'm nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of nervous, but yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So first up in uh, 30 seconds or less, your hot take on what Breaking Away was about. Three, two, one, go. Uh, Breaking Away is about a group of kids, specifically one kid who are like the townies uh, in like a working town that's very close to a very big college and sort of a coming of age story as to what are they supposed to do with their lives after high school one of the kids falls in love with the Italian bike racing team called Sinza, I think it was, or Sinza. And, uh, you know, in ipso facto, falls in love, falls out of love, has some family drama, and then comes out of it on the other side. So there you go. That's what, that's what Breaking Away is about. It's pretty close. It's Sinzano, which I think is a, it's a drink, right? Like that's, the, that's their, um, that's like a Italian aperitif, digestive. Yeah. I don't Some know. Some kind of estif? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's an estif of sorts. I believe so. Okay. Uh, who had the best performance of the movie? Oh, good question. I might go with... So either the main character... I loved Cyril. So either Dave, Cyril... Oh, uh, no, his dad. I loved his dad. Paul Gleason. The dad? Paul Gleason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the win. Uh, what is the biggest problem with the movie? The race at the end. Okay. Uh, name any cast member when you do the modern day reboot. Oh. So you get to pick any one of the cast and replace just that one. I mean, I would let you do the whole thing, but we're running out of time. Yeah, no, that would take too long. Oh, man, that's a really, really good question. And I don't know. I hadn't thought of that at all. 
the mother was also so good and I would love for her to be, uh, maybe like, uh, I'm going to go Isla Fisher again. Cause she was kind of funny. Like it was kind of a funny role. Yeah. I like that. Isla Fisher. Nice. What is the, what is the moment that if it came on cable TV tonight, you would just watch from that point on, like what's the rewatchable, what's a, the rewatchable moment. It's not even close. And you know what it is. It's the truck scene. Okay, so now, weird question, but in our little wingman universe of things we love, which is the craziest cameo crossover dink about breaking away? Oh, Alice. Who's Alice? Oh, so that, yeah, so the lead bad guy, guy, protagonist? I don't know. He's not really that bad of a guy, I guess. But that dude directed, I think the only movie he directed, but directed one of our favorite movies, which is PCU. Right. What's that guy's name? uh, Bachman, I think, Hart? Hank? I don't know. Uh, and he's all and Ellis is the role from uh, Die Hard, where he's sort of right. the sleazy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that one. Okay, uh, which character would you like to know what they're up to now? Oh, definitely Dave. Dave. Yeah. You think he's running his dad's uh, car business? I'd like to think so, but he was also he's the only one that passed his college entrance exam, so he could have gone any number of ways. Plus, he was getting into French by the end of the movie. Fair enough. Maybe he's got like a franchise of, of used French car sales. I don't know. Who knows? No, but seriously, the truck scene. So good. Tell me about it. Okay. The truck scene. So if you haven't seen this movie, spoiler alert. So the truck scene is this. So Dave is getting ready for the Sanzano racing team. The Sanzano, tr- like the truck is on the highway and he's trying to do his 50 mile ride. And like, the, the truck driver keeps going up 10 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour. And he is pacing behind this. He's actually drafting off the truck, which was also kind of a cool nod to why he'd be able to do that because the wind resistance is down. But anyway, he's like drifting in and out of the rear view mirror. And the truck driver keeps putting his hands down. I'm physically doing it like this is a visual medium. But he's putting his hands down, letting him know how fast he's going. And then he finally gets pulled over. It's just like such a really sort of neat scene. There's also a great timing part in that scene where in the rearview mirror, you don't see him for a minute. And there's like, it's not suspense in like a suspense way, but it's kind of a really great beat where yeah. there's, it's just long enough where you're like, oh, maybe they're not going to show him. And then he just slides out into the rear view. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, he's still there. All right, let's go. <laughs> it is a great scene. Like listening to I, like it's one of those scenes, no matter how much we would try to describe it to you, if you really can't get yourself to watch this whole movie, I'm sure on the YouTubes, you can find that clip. Um, it has to be. Watch the whole movie. All right, last question. Is this a best sports movie ever list contender Pong minimum status movie? Pong, yes. I so I'll run so this is so I'll give you my kind of quick summary of yeah, this, yeah, right? go. what I what I liked. So it's slow, but it's not brutally slow, right? But if that makes sense for the time, it makes sense. Which was my biggest concern when you were texting me. I'm like, oh my God, I hope it I hope it holds up. I hope the pacing's nice. Like, because it is a slow movie. Yeah. So here's what I'll say. So it's slow. However, there are all these little moments in this movie that are seemingly unnecessary, but are actually really meaningful. Like a couple that jumped out to me, which because you've seen it so many times, first of all, truck scene, 10 out of 10, just watch it on YouTube. Um, Cyril's entire dialogue in the first, like in the opening sequence, when he talks about being 16, 18, and then like talks about Jesus is just like a really, really Mm -hmm. great little moment. Right. Um, And the end, it always really, it struck me in the end that Cyril, no one came to celebrate with him. So actually I want to change my answer. I want to know what Cyril's doing. 
because they make mention about his dad being a nightmare multiple times in the movie. And then no one comes at the end of the race. Everyone's like celebrating with, you know, uh, Dennis Quaid with his brother, Taggart, by the way. Also another really good reference. How great is that? That's another great like sort of cameo. That was really interesting. The fact that Moocher and Nancy never kiss really, I thought was kind of weird, but cute. Like they kind of don't make that. It's a storyline, but that's not a storyline. I just think it was good. I actually liked all of it. The racing is the only hinky part. Like they should have been behind by 30 laps. It made no sense. Right. But that's okay. I I agree. It's the one area where it's just a little, it's just, they're they're too slow to do the magic catch up thing. And lots of movies have magic. It's, it's sort of like half the video games you play when you're, when the AI all of a sudden it's like, how, yeah, I, I should be destroying you right now. All they had to do to fix that was give Dave 10 laps or 12 laps instead of four in the end. And it would have been mildly more believable. Yeah. But the fact that they remove the score, there's no sound. You're just watching a bike race for those last like two laps is actually really cool. So I get why they did everything they did. But that was hinky. I was like, this doesn't make sense. But overall, what I would say is uh, truly thoroughly enjoyed easily an eight creeping towards eight and a half, nine. Really like this movie. Nice. I'm glad you did. I'm glad to share, share, share the love. Yeah. Which speaking of which is perfect because now let's give me something else to maybe watch. Yeah. You're not going to love this one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So by the way, I I was chatting with a buddy of mine about last week's entry and I'm going to have to disclose to everybody. It is possible that, that I have confused elements of the castle of Krull with the castle from legend. Um, (laughs) I don't really know. They're castles of evil guys in mediocre 80s fantasy movies. So astute listeners who do recall any of my uh, my glitches there, I, I apologize. It, it's a crazy magic castle and from space. I, I don't know what I was thinking. But moving on to this week. So JT, the question is, would you watch Gung Ho? Okay. All right. March 14th, 1986, a 48 on Metacritic. Get ready for this cast for a moment. Uh, by the way, you've done no research, right? Zero. Right. Okay. Uh, and I've, again, just looked for some facts. I didn't rewatch previews or anything. So this is just, this is going to be a memory. The facts come from IMDb, but the but the memory comes from my childhood. Uh, it's starring Michael Keaton um, a couple of years before Batman when he was kind of a mid-80s solid comic actor. Um, maybe, a, I don't know what's a comparison of the time. Anyhow, solid, maybe a, maybe a Brad... Brad guy, that guy, Brad. It has a young Gede Watanabe, who you remember from a lot of other 80s films as likely typecast. The uh, the, the foreign exchange student is probably his, his typecast in all of the 80s, which is sad. Yep. Uh, other than this in UHF. George Went from Cheers. Love Mimi George. Rogers. John Turturro, who is straight up one of my favorites. Rick Overton, who you might not know by name, but was the other um, brownie from... Uh, Willow. Willow. Yeah. Now I'll give you a hint for a second. Do you know who Clint Howard is? Yeah, I do. Do you know what his sort of claim to fame as an actor is? Well, so he's Ron Howard's brother, or right where they're related somehow. But yeah, he yeah. also he was. Oh God, he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean he's been. In a but ton there's a of pattern stuff. of what that ton of stuff is. He's in every one of Ron Howard's movies because Gung Ho was apparently directed by Ron Howard. No kidding. No kidding. I had no idea. Uh, I also didn't know that they had made a TV series out of this thing. That sounds horrible. It must have been. 
Here we go. Are you ready for the memory blast? I'm, I'm good. Let's go. All right. A Japanese car manufacturer, nameless of course, has purchased or taken over the factory from some, let's call it middle America town. So now they're in charge and are going to be bringing in their methods. Again, 1986. The locals are not excited about this and are very, very disrespectful to the Japanese management team. Now, I don't recall, to be honest, if this is one of those, maybe it's actually kind of racist due to the time and ignorance of the topic movies, or more of one of those being satirical about the use of racism in films movies. And I'm really sorry if I got that wrong, uh, but we're working just from memory here. Anyhow, the Japanese have them, the, the, the workers get up very early and start doing outdoor calisthenics every morning. So picture, if you will, JT, a parking lot um, full of, for lack of a better phrase, just normal people in a mid-sized town wearing factory working outfits doing jazzercise whilst the Japanese management's uh, wearing like goofy tight shorts and headbands and like stereotypical 80s workout gear are doing jumping jacks on the roof of the factory. Picture it, because it's burned into my brain. Like, if someone says gung-ho, that's what I picture. Anyhow, Michael Keaton is the union leader. Uh, Gedi Watanabe is, I believe, the liaison between the Japanese management and the union. They obviously become friends with some sparring and all that. Now, the workers are slowly falling into, into line with the Japanese process, but it's actually working, and they're making better cars and learning from it and kind of into it. Meanwhile, the Japanese management are slowly getting a bit more casual, maybe joking around. It's a good time. And then right on cue, the bad thing happens. In this case, uh, Getty and Michael get drunk. And while drunk, I, I don't exactly what it is, but Getty re reveals some kind of secret, maybe something about the management. Like maybe they're going to like move the factory. I don't remember what it was. Anyhow, despite being drunk, Keaton can't resist using the information because it helps the workers in the town. So I, th I think it's so big that they end up like this confrontation actually has the Japanese just shut down the factory. OMG, what's going to happen? Now, Keaton, of course, confronts the Japanese management somehow. Um, I don't remember exactly. Maybe everybody shows up in tow, but he takes on the challenge to build more cars in a day, week, month, I don't know, uh, than the Japanese factory has ever done. It's an uphill battle. Keaton has to convince the entire workforce to come back. And so early in the morning when they're supposed to start, it's literally just him. And then like one car comes into the parking lot and then another, and then the deluge. It's like the slow clap of pulling into a parking lot at 5 a.m. to build cars for your foreign overlords. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't mean to get so serious, but uh, anyhow, uh, it's not such a big deal, the foreign overlords thing. So let's just diminish that. Anyhow, all the people come and they show up and of course they do it. I'm pretty sure actually the Japanese management team jumps in for the last hour and helps get that last car off the off the line or whatever. And then of course the CEO has now flown in from Japan to see the workers and the last car rolls off right in front of him. And I'm pretty confident that it then falls apart. And like they look down and there's that moment of silence, but it doesn't matter. Failure doesn't matter because spunk you know, just chipper attitude <laughs> and reasons, and we get exactly what we want as an audience. Hooray! It's sort of like a sports movie of car factories taken over by Jap Japanese conglomerates. You know, the Hoosiers of the Hondeberg story, the field dreams, <laughs> field of dreams of the Dreamliner 2000. But it's probably actually one of those could have been an entire episode of a modern sitcom movies, like the kind of thing that would happen to Al Bundy, and maybe it's like a two-parter at most. So, would you see it? So, I got to be honest. I think I have. Ooh. So. Baby so, JT? 
I yeah. So the, so particularly, I just remember George went. I think during the calisthenics scene, <laughs> and then I think I remember, and it's very vague, but literally the car rolling and like physically falling up like yeah, the yeah. wheels one wheel goes one direction and it just it's it's sitting on the frame i couldn't have filled in anything else but now that you're saying it i think i have seen this movie and i gotta be honest i think i'd watch it again would you yeah because it's so first of all it's hilarious because now i'm thinking like all i could think in, in what we do for an actual living i'm like oh probably making fun of toyota production services which actually changed the way that things got made across everything right. so that's just interesting uh, it sounds probably fine. Like it's probably not good, but I like the cast. And now, all right. So let me put it this way: I wouldn't watch this movie. I kind of want to though because I think <laughs> I have, and I want to verify. It's a nostalgic, a nostalgic check-in. Yeah, yeah. The plot does not do anything for me. <laughs> no, no. I had the weirdest thing while while starting to write down my notes and like what I remembered, it was like. I've got a few more details. I'm sure there's like some kind of romantic subplot of some kind, but like I picture more and more and more of this movie the longer I went. Unlike Crawl and uh, and Critters, where I really couldn't remember the substance. This one, for some reason, it's it's more up there. I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's funny. I don't. If you would explain this to me, I never would have gotten it. Like if you'd done a conven- a condensed version, but with those pieces, I'm putting those pieces together. I've definitely at least seen parts of this for sure. All right. Well, it was an interesting take, you know, the whole between the Japanese management and the American workers, you you could almost say that they were having a bit of a face off. Oh, look at you go. (laughs) It's like I'm a king of dad jokes or something. Uh, This week, you're winning that category (laughs) by a lot. But yeah, why don't you continue down that path? Um, I think I'm spent. I think that was that was that was all I got. That was. It was, and it was desperate. I know it. Well, I, I'll use it anyway. We'll use it. So that is the the top five this week. Is it, This is the face-off episode. So this started with, uh, I really wanted to see if we could come up with five good Nicolas Cage-like performances, which then turned into, but really it should be Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, which then turned into face-off. Boom. So this week, uh, the top five performances from either... Nicolas Cage or John Travolta. Exactly. So first and foremost, I want to give a couple of facts just for our audience because it's fun. Okay. Uh, Nicolas Cage has 106 acting credits. John Travolta has 81 acting credits. Wow. Between them, there are four Oscar nominations and one win. I'm not going to talk about what those are. I just think that's it's almost 200 movies we had to pick from. Wow. Because to me, it really seemed more like 20 movies. So that's that's what made me laugh about these numbers, which is why I wanted to bring them up. My contender list is short. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, proportionally. It's probably the least percentage of repertoire. Now, I had heard a thing on uh, on the Rewatchables podcast. So apparently Nick Cage has spent most of the past decade all direct to uh, DVD slash streaming titles, like movies you and I have literally never heard of without doing this research. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest, still haven't heard of. Like, I watched a few trailers last night just because I'm like, did I not catch this movie? And the answer is no. No, but I'll, I'll send you this link. Actually, we should include it in for, for everybody. There was uh, someone did on Reddit. Someone actually watched them all, reviewed them all, gave little synopses. And I remember reading it and just almost crying with laughter. So let, okay. let me go try to see if I can find it. It's hard to find old stuff on Reddit, but let me see if I can go find that. Yeah. Uh, I, I have an interesting little factoid to share. 
Oh, go ahead. As of um, September 2019, they are remaking Face Off. Not with these two. No, not with these two. Casting so far unannounced. At this point, I would love to see uh, Taron Egerton and Ansel Elgort just, A, to say those names a lot, and B, they're sort of almost the same guy. Boy, that that's not really nice to them, but from an act, you know. You know that's okay. That's okay. For some reason, immediately in my head, I was like, it's Jeremy Renner and somebody else. Mm. Josh Hartnett. Oh, that would be a great one. Yeah, except I don't like jo- I don't like Hartnett as an actor. He's the, uh, uh, what's that other guy's name? I don't remember that other guy's name. I don't like either. You don't like any of them. <laughs> uh, it starts with a Z. Uh, Courtney. Jai, Kurt- Jai-, Jai Courtney. He was in the oh, latest yeah. Die Hard movie. They, he was one of yeah, those, yeah, like, yeah. they tried to plug him into too much. The same thing yeah. as Hartnett. Uh, okay, what's your what's your next fact you got for us? Oh, I don't have any facts, but we do have to. Do you have any more facts, or should we go straight to Shawshank? Oh, I'm ready. All right, so I I have two for Shawshank. Two. I assume one of them is Face Off itself. Oh no, I don't even bother. It's a bad movie. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Several of these are bad movies. We were talking about performance, though, JT. I have bad movies on my list. No, so do I. I so do I. No, so there. So because it's performance driven. I got there's one from each that I I'm fine with not striking, but mm. one of them is a wingman dot like it's just a it's it's part of our DNA and the movie itself I just think is it's too easy and we've talked about the movie before so I don't want to and the other one that's the Cage performance the Travolta performance is just like arguably one of his only really really good performances and it's it's kind of a layup so I just feel like it would be lazy but I'm it's lazy only for me I'd be fine leaving I it think alone. I think you've picked my first two movies. Okay, so then let's leave them alone. Um, well, you're probably right, though. That's the problem. And, and the problem is I don't really have backup. So I think I'm going to accept your entries, but, you know, do them anyway. That's fine. Okay. I, listen, when, when have we ever paid attention to the rules? This is a perfect time. To not. I was just so sure you were gonna, it was going to be like face-off and then something else I hadn't thought of. So I like that you had a totally different twist. And the truth is your take is right. And had I known it, I would have absolutely put face-off in here for other reasons. But uh, <laughs> I love it. Let's, let's do it. All right. So then this week is you. So you get, why don't you start with one of the two things that I wanted to Shawshank? <laughs> Not only that, I actually have a deliberate order this time. So I will do oh. exactly that. And so my first one will be the Travolta Shawshank, which is Greece. No. Oh, wow. there's so much going on here. June 16th, 1978, 70 on Metacritic. Um, I was going to do this as a clue. It's a repeat from the pre-1980s biggest summer blockbuster episode. And I know you hate it. So I sort of didn't want yeah. to make you quiz through it. Like, name a, can you think of a movie you hate, JT? Um, so let me let me give you my quick spiel on Travolta in Greece. So it's uh, whatever seventy eight. Now Travolta comes on scene, and this kid had everything. Like he was good looking, and and like in that rough kind of way where he can appeal as like the bad boy or like the sweet boy, like um, like a James Dean, but also. Uh, a Bradley Cooper, who was who I was thinking of earlier. Um, that was the Brad. Exactly the character he plays in this movie is him, basically. Like, he's sweet, and then all of a sudden he's a jerk. He's a champ, and then he's a bully. He can sing. He can dance. Like, John Travolta should have been our generation's, like, Gene Kelly, Frank Sinatra. Like, he was... You got to put, put picture that. Like, it's 1978. This movie comes out. Everybody has seen it. And this kid does everything. 
And then his career gets sort of killed in the early 80s. Um, and actually, I was almost put on this list. I remember this sort of movie, this movie called Two of a Kind, which was again Travolta and, uh, and Olivia Newton-John, which I, I, I want to take us through, but I don't remember it in the, for the slightest. Um, anyhow, it turns out Look Who's Talking sort of revived his career, and then Pulp Fiction really revived it. Uh, and then that was the beginning of a great run until Battlefield Earth. Moving on. That is my... Travolta in Greece take. Yeah, uh, I hate Greece. Yeah. And so there was no way that this was going to be on my list. And it was, I knew like there was this in Saturday Night Fever. I was both like, yeah, he's probably great in both of those. I've seen Saturday Night Fever a couple of times. Greece, I've only seen once. Hmm. And I, I don't care. I just, I don't care. So in our aforementioned karaoke time, we're not going to duet Summer Nights? Absolutely not. Okay. I accept that. But you do get, you do get why I like the performance. Like he's solid. Yeah, listen, I've never I've never not understood why people love Greece and why people consider it a good movie. It is it was ruined for me for a reason that was outside <laughs> of the film. It was ruined for me because of the music and because of like an early job that I had as a kid. Like I, it's just it's that. I get it. When I watched it, I was like, yeah, okay. Like it's a musical and it's fine and it's well acted and it's well sung and danced and everybody's fun and the story's fine, you know, it's like a worse version of Jess and the Sharks kind of. Like yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Like, All right. It's fine. What's your first? My first, I also have a deliberate order. And I also like that we're, you don't necessarily know which actor it is, which I think is fun. That's right. Uh, so my first one is February 9th, 1995. February 9th, 1995. Um, the only thing I've got, I'm going to guess so far that this is likely a, a, a Nick Cage movie. In fact, if I had to guess with no other information, I'm going to go with Leaving Las Vegas. You're right. Wow. Yeah. I've been reading a lot about Nick Cage recently. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So the the rest of this cast was, you know, kind of Richard Lewis, Julian Sands, I thought was cool. Elizabeth Shue was like really actually good in this movie. They both were. Um, One thing I thought was interesting. So 82 on Metacritic. Ebert ranked this the seventh best movie of the 90s, which I thought was maybe kind of higher than I thought it would be. But then I thought about this and I'm like, no, this is actually like a really good movie. I think, I think first of all, Ebert's Ebert's d- didn't love the nineties in general. It seems, you know, it was Fair. when, I mean, it was probably the biggest change in movie making from the eighties to the nineties and he didn't love a lot of the stuff. So yeah, that's fair, but it's a, so, it's a fair point. It's a very well-regarded movie. So this one, the reason so cage, I genuinely think is good in this, not like, good for him like he's good right like this is actually good he does broken really well right like his weirdo method nonsense of like filming himself when like when he was drunk to learn his own speech patterns and binge drinking and going to rehab centers to learn how these people like were living like he did a bunch of that stuff he got an oscar for this and i think he deserved it for the most part um there is one thing that i have to say as a horophile i love watches and like there's this one scene this scene has stuck with me forever where he trades in a 1993 rolex daytona and the guy gives him 500 bucks and he famously just goes i'll do it that's a twenty thousand dollar watch <laughs> like that forever even even back even when i first saw this i'm like that doesn't make any sense an interesting thing about this that i didn't know though so that was john o'brien's watch so john o'brien is the guy who wrote that this was based on. And he unfortunately committed suicide two weeks before this movie was released or before wow. they started filming and production. And they almost canceled filming because of it. 
And instead, after like a big conversation, they were like, no, we should do this in his honor. Like this will be in his memory. We should put his stuff out in the world. I had no idea. Totally changed my view of a lot of it. Not that it was in a bad view anyway, but now I'm kind of, I want to go back. I'm like, oh, wow, that's like an interesting through line to think about that the guy who wrote and experienced a lot of this stuff was really going through it. So, you know, it, it kind of brings some real depth to what, what Cage really did here. Um, it was just, listen, it's a great performance. Like I actually, you know, if, if, if he stopped here, I think people would have been like, I wonder what, what Nick Cage could have done. <laughs> Fair enough. And um, I guess I'll just fess up. Uh, I'm not really sure why, but never saw it. Yeah, that's fine. It's like one of those movies that everybody talked about. And I was like, oh yeah, I should see that. I should see that. I should, I should, I should see that. I should yeah, see you that. Should see it. I should see it. You should. I will. For sure. One day. Don't watch it with the kids. No, I know that much. All right. Uh I'm I'm well now with every one of my picks, I'm just assuming it's one of the ones you you had in mind, but this one I'm I'm more confident. Let's just go with it with June seventh, nineteen ninety six. Okay. Was that uh, I, that, I I don't have the date because I literally uh, didn't even write it down. Is it the rock? Yeah. It's the rock. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh this cast is amazing. John Spencer, so David Morris, Michael Bean, Tony Todd. I mean, Candyman. Uh, John C. McGinley. Oh, yeah. Ed Harris and Sean Connery. Like, amazing. Now, did you know Schwarzenegger was originally offered the part? Of Mason. Of, of Mason. No, oh, Connery's I was going to say, of Stanley yeah. Goodspeed? I don't no. buy it. But, yeah, yeah Mason. That would have been a different movie, but interesting. Uh, two. So the other two trivia things I was going to get give you in case you didn't get it instantly was you remember the one scene where they're swimming underwater and there's fire on the water above them. That was legit fire. Like that was there was no CGI. No, they were told you have to stay down for however many seconds. Don't get back up, kind of thing. I love that. Yeah, and uh, this is a quote from Michael Bay. Uh, yeah, there's a major logic flaw in the movie. Why are the boilers working on the rock when this island hasn't been used for years? Uh, he basically then says, screw it. It's entertaining, don't you think? If that's, so, not the, that's the summary of every Michael Bay movie ever, by the way. Screw yeah. it. Don't you think it's entertaining, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> so here's my take on, on why I put it in is this is like, this is that moment, to, to your point, this is the... Um, He's so perfect. He's like a little too perfect in this character in a way. Like, I think this is, this is the last stage of cage, like trying to sort of rein himself in, but he was just like, he was just having all the wins. So he didn't like, but if you think about the plot of this movie, everything goes right for him one way or another, maybe not in that exact moment, but like the car chase works out everything about getting in Alcatraz followed by every single thing that happens for the rest of the movie. Uh, and, and it's actually an odd thing about the rock being that it's a good movie because so little, you know, most good movies. One of the, one of the things about a good script is that the characters have a lot of agency, what they do matters. And the truth is while thinking about this beat for beat, most of what happens in the rock is doesn't happen through character choice, but, but, but it happens upon them, but yet it's still a great movie. Um, it's also Michael Bay's favorite of his own movies. Anyhow, so Nick was like Nick Cage was just so over the top and everything, but like so earnest about it still. And, and to me, I think of it like this was him proving to himself and everyone else, basically, I'm Nicholas freaking Cage, man. Get ready for whatever I want to bring out because I'm just going to start bringing it from this point forward. 
But I think in The Rock, he didn't like what I'll call now cage out. He just he just waited till Con Air to really do it, and and that's part of why I uh, I like The Rock and Nick Cage's performance. The Rock is uh, forever watchable. Uh, Cage as Stanley Goodspeed is like he's the perfect amount of humility and hubris, right? Like where there's like a ton of cagey sort of like big puffy chest stuff, and yeah. there's a bunch of like I'm an idiot moments, and they're appropriate. And Cage, I think, played those perfectly. I, I, this is a this one is he highly benefits from the rest of this cast, like in a very very serious way. For sure. I wonder. I wonder if with less intense actors, if he might have accidentally gone too far. I so I actually would argue that he would have caged out on this so hard if he didn't know Sean Connery was sitting next to him. Fair enough. By the way, did you know that his aunt is Talia Shire from Rocky? No, I didn't. Yeah. I know he's a Coppola, but that's like yeah. a, everybody they is. All, they all are. So there's my uh, there's my take on the cage. the The last be full cage pre full cage out movie. I like it. All right. um, okay, so here's my next one. Uh, September twelfth, two thousand three. Uh, so, I, I don't. I don't. Do I have any guesses for the two thousands with either of these guys? Uh, get shorty. Nope. So I'll, I'll keep going. So Allison Lohman and Bruce Altman. Oh, is it Primary Colors? Nope. Oh. Uh, a, the, the clue I'll give you is a 23-year-old actor plays a 14-year-old character. Oh, that's all the time. I mean, that would be Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid, but that's not right either. So Ridley Scott directed. Oh, is Ghost Rider? I don't no, even know a movie. Sam Rockwell played this alongside this person. Sam well, Rockwell, who we love. Yeah, I love Sam Rockwell. What, what are you talking about? What movie is this? This is called Matchstick Men. Oh, I never saw that. Oh, Jeremy, you actually should see Matchstick Men. I should Men. see Matchstick Men? Okay. So it's got a 61 on Metacritic. Uh, I, I won't go too far into this, especially if you haven't seen it, because I don't want to ruin anything. First of all, actually a really good premise, a pretty well thought through plot. There's not a ton of holes, but there's a twist. There's some twists in this that are really good. Now that you haven't seen it, I'm actually going to not do a ton of this. Is is he? Is this the one where he's the weather, the weatherman? No. So he did like a whole string of the thing. Yeah. Right. But like he was the weatherman, and then he was the family man, and the, no, he was this the is the gun in, guy. He was the yeah. So this is in that word, the Lord of what Lord of War. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is before that, I okay. think. Uh, but this is actually a good movie, like a genuinely good movie. Uh, what I will, I have to. Just, it's okay, just talk about him. So Roy is his character, and he's a con man. Sam Rockwell's his partner. Uh, Allison Lohman is 23, but she plays his 14-year-old daughter. Very, very long story short, Cage's character, Roy, has tics, and he is OCD. But he overcomes a lot of that. He's like in therapy and whatever. But it, it Cage gets to lean into all of his weird in this movie. <laughs> Because like Roy's tics are verbal and explosive. And so it's just Nick Cage getting to be Nick Cage, but in character. Awesome. Th this was written so well for him. Uh, it's actually relatively, it's pretty tight. Like there's, there's some weird stuff where there's not a ton of hinky where it's like, this doesn't make sense. But it's the long game of this movie pays off really well in the end. And it's, it's him just being, it's like, a, it was written for him. He's super weird. He's super method. He's all over the place. He's neurotic and strange. And it's, and it's him. He just gets to like be him in a movie that's actually pretty well done. And again, surrounded by really, really good actors. 
So highly recommend Matchstick Man. Actually, like uh, I forgot how much I liked this movie until I, I did watch the trailer and I'm like, God, there was like some really good stuff in this. And I remembered two or three of the big plot twists. And I'm like, oh, this was actually like a pretty well thought out flick. Like this is good. Good. Matchstick Man. Well, I'll follow up with a not good movie. I believe it's a 38 on the Metacritic. Uh, okay. So that's where we're starting. Uh, December 25th, 1996. Okay. I'm going to give you some casts. Unless you did a lot of the researching, I don't think you're going to know this. But you should know it. Uh, Andy McDowell from Groundhog Day. William yep. Hurt from Broadcast News and so much more. Bob Hoskins. Gene Stapleton. Carla Dugina. Richard Schiff. Joey Lauren Adams. And uh, which of our two do you think is uh, is in the running for this one? You said 96? Yep. It's got to be Travolta, because I feel like I went really deep on Cage, and this isn't a Cage movie. <laughs> it's Travolta. The movie is called Michael. Oh, this is it. Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, Oi. This is kind of my summary for this. It's You know, it's one of those movies you don't really remember. Like, there's an angel. He's got to do something. Maybe he'll lose his wings if he doesn't. Uh, it's going to probably run down to the last possible moment to accomplish the thing, and then he does... Either he does it by being his own person or by conforming, whichever message we're trying to send. Um, that it, it's, I don't mean this in like a super disrespectful note to the movie, though, with its poor score, obviously, not a lot of people liked it. But I want to talk about Travolta for a second. So it's important to establish that Travolta was basically attempting to be like the most goodest person ever, right? Like he is like good of all, like, all good, 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 good. Okay, that Travolta's playing, like, his character should be not Michael, but good human being could be the thing. The problem is, and he, and, and for the most part, he actually does play this because he does seem in so many ways like he's actually this genuinely nice person. Um, and by the way, I don't know if I, I didn't know this still doing research. Did you know his wife, Kelly Preston, passed away in July? I did, yeah. I didn't know they had kept it under. They kept it quiet just because they didn't want to make it a big, uh, big thing. I thought that was very sad. I didn't. I had no idea. Anyhow, um, I I think that they were just trying. He he seems like that guy who really is good, but but the problem is the whole movie. He's got this like little twinkle of crazy in the eye the whole time. I don't know if that's like Danny Zuko coming back from Greece or a preamble to to Castor Troy. I or Pollux or whichever one he whichever one he does, but the whole time there's just something hiding away in his eye, and like since the movie itself is basically schmaltz, like it's just you know it's it's fine, it's an enjoyable couple hours, whatever. But just getting to watch like this angel with just like a hint of the devil Travolta in him, absolutely priceless. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, two years later, Nick Cage basically made the same movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then there's another movie that, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the other movie. He was in another movie in this same year, which was like a very similar version of this. Travolta was in, in the same movie. Oh, basically. yeah. Oh, that's right. I have that in my notes. Uh, I have that for later. We'll talk about yeah. that one more. Fair. Um, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I, re- that's I remember this movie because he was the Archangel Michael. That was the whole thing. And like, yeah. I get it. I was like, all right. Yeah, fine. Whatever. But you know what I mean? Like the whole time you're watching. Oh, him, I get like, it is like he's at the archangel, but he might just pull out that flaming sword right about now. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What you got? Okay. June 9th, 2000. Mm. I'm going to give you a bunch of people in this cast. Cause this cast is 
great. Scott Kahn. Timothy Oliphant. Is this get shorty? No. Robert Duvall. Vinnie Jones. Delroy Lindo. Is it be cool? Nope. Chai McBride. Michael Pena. Oh my gosh. The two easy ones. So Giovanni Rabisi and Angelina Jolie. This is a remake of a 1974 movie of the same name. I, oh, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Gone in 60 seconds. Oh, my. That was a remake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't watch all of this movie. I, I, I did not like this movie. Oh, buddy. So oh, it says no. 35, 35% on Metacritic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, Long Live Memphis Reigns. I love this. It's oh. so bad. This movie's so bad. Okay. I love it. All right. Yeah, this this is right actually as I hit that like, oh, maybe all the action movies aren't good kind of thing. Yeah. So look, here's the deal, man. <laughs> I love cars. Okay. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. Uh, I've seen this movie an embarrassing amount of times. It's not good. Okay. It's not good. Uh, there are individual performances in this that are not bad. I mean, with that cast, there, ha- there has to be some good stuff for that cast. Rabisi is really good. Delroy Lindo is really good. Duvall is really good. Uh, Jolie is really good with one exception. There's a scene with her and Nick Cage where it's like a weird sort of like moment where they're using cars to describe intimacy and it's really sort of gross. However, there are some really good scenes in this. Like Cage gets to do a little bit of ch- like very cheese in this and he's good at it. Yeah. And given... The skill set of this, like they didn't make Memphis Reigns like this incredible thief, right? He's just like a car hack. Like he's just like a car thief. So all of it sort of plays relatively well into the, he's not special. He's just well, like he just did some stuff well. This is the one thing he does well and he has to come back and save his brother. The storyline's kind of stupid. There's a bunch of random nonsense that doesn't necessarily make sense. However, Everyone individually is believable. The plot is not great. There are holes aplenty. Like the script wasn't great, but it was well acted. It's a lot of fun to watch. And if you like cars, there's a bunch of fun little like nuancey like nods to Cardam in this that are kind of a lot of fun. Uh, and I like it. And listen, when he talks to Eleanor and the music, the score in this is actually pretty good. And it really is. There's like, I'm not kidding. There's like, there's genuinely. No, I, I accept all this. I'm just nodding ahead because I know I'm, I will never rewatch this. Yeah, no, that's fine. Don't. No. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when he talks to Eleanor and the whole idea of Eleanor being his like unicorn car, there's just a lot of fun stuff in this movie. I actually think it's fun. I like mm-hmm. it. All right. Would you uh, rewatch this or Fast and the Furious 3 Tokyo Drift first? Never seen Tokyo Drift and won't watch it. Okay. Fair enough. It's the only of that series I haven't seen more than, like I've seen every other one of those more than once. And I've never even seen Tokyo Drift. I mean, it's not that bad. There's some cool card card things. No, it's bad. I don't know what I'm saying. It's a terrible movie. That one for me doesn't, doesn't count as part of the franchise. Okay. Well, let's come on. Let's bring it on back. We're going to go back a little while in time. We're going to go to April 17th, 1987. 87. Eight, uh, look who's talking. No. No. Okay. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I, I briefly considered, but like he's, he's the voice of a baby. I don't know. I'm just to, guessing, man. I'm guessing. No, I, I hear you. No, <laughs> um, I'll give you the cast. Uh, John Goodman. Okay. William Forsyth. 
uh, young Francis McDormand. Oh, wow. Okay. And Holly Hunter. Okay. I know all those people, but this movie is not ringing a bell at all. Directed by Brothers Cohen. Raising Arizona. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Did you forget about Raising Arizona? This is like no, you're forgetting I, about Mad Max Fury Road. No, I didn't forget about Raising Arizona. That was 87? 87. Oh, for some reason, I thought... No, Raising Arizona was... A, I have it on Pong. I just didn't think that was that old. While thinking about this, I have to disclose, when I first saw Raising Arizona, because you know I'm a little, little older, I was way too young for it to appreciate it. Like I was like, this is just a not very good, weird comedy. Yeah. Um, like one of those movies you saw, especially at the time, you're like, what the heck did I just see? Like yeah. there weren't movies like this beforehand, right? This is like, to me, especially on, on rewatching it the many times I have over the years, it's it's moved itself up to like Andy Kaufman level of of just totally different kind of takes on things, totally different type of storytelling and totally different types of characters. So when you look back on it, Raising Arizona and think about Nick Cage, I'd actually say he was totally underrated in it. First of all, mm-hmm. he he was high, right? Like the character's name is High, right? So he was that character, this beat up, you know, sort of never to good, not gonna not gonna win any anything's anywhere, kind of loser character. And so he became that persona entirely. And then for the rest of the movie, whatever High was, whether he was happy, nervous, sad, whatever. Like it felt like truth. Like this is Nick Cage straight up acting, but it was wild and erratic because he had that intensity even at that time. So it was so deliberate his his performance of this common, mellow, sad loser guy who could also just all of a sudden go crazy and be you know over the top when he needed to. And I'd say like he might have even been stronger than his than his performance in Moonstruck because because here he's just sort of insane as high in so many ways. I, I'd actually argue that like. This movie is the beginning of the path through and ending actually with The Rock of Cage basically moving from an acting school graduate into his own full, again, like we just called it caging out. And it's funny because I written down in my notes, it's sort of like like Planet Hulk, except in Nick Cage <laughs> format. So yeah, I just love this, this performance because I think it is so far afield, but yet so obviously cage. And that's what I have to say. Yeah. I, so Raising Arizona is on my Pong list. I, 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 for some reason, I didn't have the date on that right. For some reason, I thought this was early 90s. But yeah, uh, he was really good in this. This whole movie is pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I have, I have no arguments here. Fair enough. Where are you going? What's next? All right. Um, <clears throat> so this one, <laughs> uh, December 21st, 2007. That's too recent. Um, it is too recent. I know. Nothing. I'm uh, 2007 National Treasure. So yes, but technically this is Book of Secrets, the second. Oh, one. oh, the second one. I chose the second one on purpose because it's a better performance and a better movie. Uh, so really quickly, Harvey Keitel, Helen Mirren, John Voight, Diane Kruger, Ty Burrell, Ed Harris. We love Ed Harris. We love Ed Harris. Ed Harris, Jerry Brockheimer, Nick Cage, The Rock. <laughs> love it. Uh, anyway, so Justin Bartha is also in this movie, and he's like uh, Riley in both these movies, and he's like the funny like oh, sidekick the, the guy. Oh, the sidekick guy, yeah. 
He's so good. He's also White Doug. He's Doug from The Hangovers, by the way. Oh, if you that connection. I never made that connection. Dude, he's just really funny. And this is like, these are funny, fun, lighthearted family. Don't worry about who's in the room comedies. Like, they're just good. Uh, wild trivia before I get into the cage part. So Disney, I'm going to read this verbatim because there's no other way to do it. Disney discovered that the shooting schedule at, the, at Mount Rushmore would displace the local high school's prom that is held there annually at the location. So to make up for this, Disney paid for the prom by providing transportation to a new location in Rapid City, door prizes for all for everyone at the prom, and scholarships for the valedictorians. Wow. Good on you, Disney. Yeah. Uh, both these movies are fun. Neither of them are particularly good if you go into it expecting cinema. Both of them are very fun on a rainy Sunday afternoon or a Saturday, and you're just like, hey, let's watch a movie with the kids and not worry about what's on TV. Uh, ben Gates is his character. He's neurotic, obsessive, intense, stubborn, and kind of a jerk. Nicholas Cage, everybody. There you go. Just here he is. Uh, I literally wrote, this is Cage getting to be Cage. So caging out is perfect, <laughs> right? Believes in legacy above all else and the work. He's a preservationist, not a superhero. So I totally buy that from Nick Cage. Uh, he's enough of like a fumbling idiot to be like a genuinely real person, but also like, ballsy and well well read so it's like okay you're just like a well-researched kind of guy it's not like you're special uh and i buy that nick cage could be all of those things and i just think listen again with over 200 movies to select from it was slim pickings on good performances to be completely candid and with my next one i'll, I'll talk about a larger topic but these are good. He's good in both these movies. The movies are exactly what they're supposed to be i think he doesn't make the movie he makes the movie better not worse Right. Him being weird is kind of what makes him what makes these movies kind of work, because this character yeah. inherently, I think, is weird. Yeah. It, it, the, the, the National Treasure. What's his name again? What's the Ben? Name? Ben? Ben yeah. Gates. Yeah. He's got to be like Nick Cage, like a Sam Rockwell. Someone's got to be a little you got to be a little quirk. Yeah. We're going to steal the, the Declaration of Independence. Like that doesn't work if it's delivered from somebody who seems like well put together. You know what I mean? Like Fair. you've got to be a little off kilter. I, I might, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that his performance in number two was so much more than number one, but, but I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I am planning to rewatch both with the kids. Um, but we might revisit the, you know, which, which of the classic national treasure movies really makes the list. So I, I want to be clear. The reason I picked two isn't because his performance is better. It's because I think the movie is better because of the cast. All right, but you know, going to our very, very strictly enforced rules of best performance. In <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think his performance was the same in both. I don't oh, think he was better okay. in either. I picked the second one specifically because of the addition of Ed Harris, Helen Mirren, and, uh, and, and John Voight. Like, those people made the second one. Voight was in the first Voight one. Voight was too. in the first one, too, yeah. He was, but not with Helen Mirren and then not with Ed Harris as the bad guy. Ed Harris is the bad guy in this one. I forget the guy's name who's the, in the first one, but I prefer Ed Harris to anybody. Ed Harris okay. is the best. Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't remember enough about um, the Book of Chambers, Secrets, National Capture. Crazy story. Uh, one of those movies, like, it just seems like they should be able to make other national treasure like movies. You know, it's just these ridiculous quests. that are just fun and, and hijinks ensue. Anyhow. Well, I think we've hit on a through line here, which is like, aside from the, just make family movies again, there's not enough quest movies. True. Like there True. should just be more fun quest movies. Cause like, it's good. Yeah. It's fun. Make them. 
All right. Last one for me. Uh, I can give you a date. And I think the moment I give you any other piece of information, it's, it's the end of the guessing. So the date will be October 14th, 1994. October. Okay. 1994. Okay. I don't have anything. Um, this is not on my pong list. So I, I don't have an immediate guess. Oh my. Then I think you might've overlooked the movie, sir. Oh no, I didn't overlook this movie. This is Pulp Fiction and it should have been a, it should have been a Shawshank. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's what I thought you were going to say earlier. <laughs> I, I totally, I kind of forgot that we had gotten there. Yeah. Pulp Fiction to me is like, is yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw it seven times the year it came out because, <laughs> you know, it came out when I was in college and, and I've been thinking about that ever since we started putting on this list, like seeing Pulp Fiction when I was in college and how important that is. Cause I have this whole theory on like, when was the best time to be born and what are the movies you get and at what age and Pulp Fiction in college to me is like the perfect combination, maybe early 20 something out of college, but I think it mattered. Nothing like this has ever existed. Um, this is, by the way, Pulp Fiction comes out one week before Clerks comes out and about a year before Swingers comes out. And I would argue that those three movies were part of this whole hand in hand, changing the way storytelling, movie making, et cetera, was done. Playing with time, playing with angles, playing with filmmaking, all sorts of stuff. I also just really quickly, because as you said that, that amazes me, because I think if you watched all three now, I would 100% assume that Pulp Fiction came out later than the other two, because it looks and feels better and more modern than either of the other two do. Yeah, that's just because they had a budget. That's a big part of it. (laughs) Not a huge one, but a budget. Fair point. Now, before I go into Travolta's performance in this one, here's the next run he goes on immediately after Pulp Fiction. White Man's Burden, Get Shorty, Broken Arrow, Phenomenon, and uh, and Michael. Uh, She's So Lovely, which I don't really remember. Uh, Face Off, and then Primary Colors, and then some Mez, and well, again, Battlefield Earth. Uh, It's hard to do much after that one. I hope that's not your last. That'll be awesome. If you put Battlefield Earth on your list, I can't wait to hear that story. You'll have to wait and see. So uh, let me start by saying... I think you got to acknowledge the performance because it became a meme for Christ's sake. Like one of the good ones too. It's like a good meme was born because of the movie. One of the best memes I might even say. Anyhow, Vince Vega was an amazing character. And the more you think about Travolta and sort of his background and the intensity he tends to bring to parts, watching him as this laid back weird assassin guy is pretty amazing. Like Vinnie Barbarino, which definitely predates you, wasn't like a zoned out, you know, not so great hitman. Vinny Barbarino was a very active, just hippie local loser kid. And we'll come back. Cotter, not a loser kid. I don't know what he was, but um, when Vince Vega's on screen, he's either completely laid back or else he is just fully on. And it's like this radically unexpected performance was, it's actually the kind of thing you wanted from Travolta, his whole career. If, if you had skipped like half his movies and gone from Greece and fine do look who's talking, who cares and Saturday night fever is great. Um, and then you end up in Pulp Fiction at that moment. You might've called him like, honestly, like a Daniel day Lewis style of actor. Like if he just like, if you think about in Pulp Fiction, he showed up out of nowhere, had this random, amazing performance of some character. Nobody had thought of doing that before that way. You, you had never had a, a sort of addicted, dancing hitman stoner right um and the problem is like he then 
did Battlefield Earth. And so that, you know, that's like his love guru or his, or his nutty professor, or which, which actually wasn't Murphy's worst. That was Beverly Hills Cop 3. Like, you know, I kind of think maybe Travolta is going to come back again in a few years. Some like art house director will put him in some new place and like, we'll get ready to love watching him again. And uh, I was told there'll be dancing. So that's my Travolta take. Yeah. So this is the re- Everything you said is right. I agree. Uh, this, the, I mean, this performance is incredible. The movie was incredible. It was a moment in time for film. It changed the way that movies were made. I think his character spawned lots and lots of other characters. I think for a lot sure. of actors lean into that character and how he portrayed that character. Like I see Vega in other characters in movies where I'm like, oh, they're doing Vega right now. Right. Like it's that. That's how good it was. Which is why this one for me was a Shawshank because it's like it to me. It goes against literally every other movie he's ever done. That's fair. This was the exception, not the rule. Right. Yeah, he was the first non-one-dimensional hitman, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair. And yeah. I, I give almost all the credit of that to Tarantino. Well, maybe maybe I'll give uh, Leon. Leon was a Oh, was, Leon, I yeah, love, actually. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. That's a non- That's multi-dimensional. Oh, so good. That's such a good movie. All right, where, where, where are you going to take us next? All right, my last one. So October 20th, 1995. I want to be clear. This one hurt my heart to even put it on the list. You've, you've guessed it twice and been wrong, but now, now it is the right one. So Gene Hackman, Dennis Farina, Rene Russo. You know it? Go on. Go on. All I'm right. just going to let you speak. Danny DeVito, Delroy Lindo. So Quentin Tarantino actually convinced Travolta to take this movie after he said he didn't want to take it. Really? Yeah. It's an 82 on Metacritic and it's Get Shorty. Solid movie. So here's the thing. Uh, Get Shorty and Be Cool. Be Cool, by the way, horrible movie. Makes me laugh so hard, though, because there's some of the other actors. Andre 3000 in that movie makes me laugh so hard. So hit, Dude, him and Cedric the Entertainer in that movie make me laugh so hard. Vince Vaughn in that movie in The Rock make me laugh so hard. It's all bad, but like funny right. bad. I get you. I wanted to keep Travolta off my list. I okay. wanted to just go with Nick Cage movies. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little in awe that, that he made the list at all. I didn't think he was going to. I wanted him not to so badly, but I got painted into a corner. Part of the reason, by the way, that I wanted to wind up with the two Shawshanks is I needed Pulp Fiction out of Dodge. Uh, So I could just be like, I'm only going to have a Nick Cage list because John Travolta has ruined so many movies for me. I don't think he's (laughs) a good actor. I just don't. It's okay. We didn't make this episode to celebrate two of the (laughs) finest actors of our time. But here's what annoys me. I've been in conversations with people where they'll be like, Hanks, Washington, Travolta. And I'm like, what? That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Not a thing. I feel the same way when people do Tom Cruise. I'm like, stop it. Like, stop. Yeah, I I get where you're going. Great actor versus potentially a great performer. Right. Right. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll do Tom Cruise some other time. But like the thing with Travolta is his intensity is what sells him. I totally get that. The reason Vega was so good is because it was his lack of intensity until he needed it that made his intensity intense. Mm -hmm. The rest of the time, it's just called overacting. (laughs) The thing with Get Shorty is that he's like a swarmy, egotistical, I I know better than everybody, but I'm also kind of a Luddite idiot. It works. It's like, yeah, your intensity for the thing you know and your confusion about the things you don't. But again, Get Shorty, very much like what you were talking about earlier with The Rock, everything just works for Chili Palmer. Like that movie just keeps, everything works out okay. Even the the trials he goes through that he creates for himself, by, by the way, 
it just, it's okay. Everything's like, yeah, it's fine. This is totally fine. The movie itself is hilarious. The cast is great. Uh, I really do love the one thing that I will give Travolta credit for is so Elmore Leonard is the one who wrote most of this. Right. And Travolta fought really hard also at the behest of Quentin Tarantino, but that's fine to keep the script in Leonard's tone and not sort of movieify it more so. And it's it's because of that the movie works because the dialogue in this movie is hysterical. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting because the '90s was a, a lot of Leonard's work made it to movies, and very few made it to good movies. And there's not there's no good justification for that. Like the the they should have been better than they were. And Get Shorty yeah. probably I'm 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 in my head I'm stuck also on a Out of Sight. With um, yep. Clooney and uh, and Lopez, which would, yep. uh, might be might slightly edge get shorty personally, but they're both the only two great Leonard movies. So this is the one Leonard likes this one the most. Oh, does he? And the reason I'm sure is because it's the closest to his actual story. Right, right. It didn't get softened because a lot of his dialogue is it's not thick; it's just wordy and kind of tangential and all over the place. But that's what makes it good. And the characters in this were great. And to give Travolta credit. He nails Chili Palmer, man. Like the, 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 again, it's the Vega thing. It's the, you're calm, you're collected, but you're kind of scary, but you're not. It's the twinkle that makes him unease, that gives you the willies in Michael that makes him good in this. Well said, sir. Well said. That under the current, you're creepy and I'm afraid of you, but you're delivering things in a really soft tone is the vibe I get from John Travolta all the time, always. And so for me, the com- the comedic timing in this was really good. When he recites Orson Welles in the theater, like those moments make me mad because they show me the Vince Vega side of Travolta where I'm like, buddy, you could have been a contender. Like <laughs> you're, you're good. Like there's moments of brilliance where I'm like, you're really good. And to be honest, if I could have, if I could have slipped adaptation into this and had a, a full cage list instead of get shorty, I would have. But he was really good in Get Shorty, and he does make the movie, and the movie is, is a favorite of mine. So Travolta makes the list, but just barely. Maybe we'll have to do a top five other movies that should have had Travolta. Nah. Great. I have none. No. Nah. <laughs> All right. How about we do top five movies I wish John Travolta wasn't in? I've got three or four of those right off the hip. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sensing a little uh, angst. Of some kind, I kind of, I kind of want to put Travolta now into like a one-man, one-act play on Broadway about some really heavy topic and just see what happens. Anyhow, what yeah. are uh, let's let's do some contender action. Sure. So I've got uh, only a couple for Cage, and I've got the stuff I, I put some together for Travolta just because. So my Cage contender, I almost did this just because his voice was perfect, even though he's not enough of the movie. Uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I had Spider-Verse on mine too. I almost wanted to pick it until, until by the way, you, we made the clarification it was best performance. Spider-Verse yeah. was actually on the list. Uh, yeah. All right. Well then on the same, same note, sticking with cage uh, fast times at Ridgemont high. Nice. So sticking with cage, I can make an argument for, this is one of my favorite, not favorite, but this is a good, like, I don't care. I'll watch this movie again. The Sorcerer's Apprentice is, is a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go with Peggy Sue got married. From oh the wow! 80s, which have you seen? Because I was thinking about putting that on the 80s list. I have seen that. Okay, I would not rewatch that. No, no. no. Uh, so I'm going to bring it up, even though I don't necessarily think it belongs here. But uh, so City of Angels is just Michael with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yep. didn't see that one either. 
I kind of haven't seen anything of Nick Cage being too serious, I guess would be the way I look at it. Yeah, the only thing that so did see City of Angels, only saw it once, rewatched the final scene because I couldn't remember. I'm not going to spoil it, but like couldn't remember what the big thing at the end was. I couldn't remember who had something happen to them. Yeah. But I do remember uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Iris was on the radio for two years because of that stupid movie. At least it, it me nuts. It's still on the radio somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere right now on a, on a mix station, Iris is playing. Probably bringing you the greatest hits of the '90s and today. All right, should we move to, do you have any more? I have no more on the cage. I got Travolta. That's it. I got a couple of Travoltas. Uh, all right, Carrie. Oh, don't have that. Urban Cowboy. Of course, Urban Cowboy. Uh, I had Looking's Talking, even though we've already mentioned it. So I'll switch it out with uh, Broken Arrow, oh. which, by the way, going into this, for a while, I actually thought, <laughs> I actually thought Broken Arrow was Nick Cage. And then while I was starting, when I went looking for Nick Cage movies, I'm like, why isn't Broken? Oh, yeah, that one actually was Travolta. So that's funny. There you go. Uh, yeah. So I had uh, primary colors I actually did like as a movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, by the way, I had Phenomenon slash Michael 2. Yep. I had Phenomenon. Was Phenomenon the one with the albino kid? Or not albino, but like like something else, right? No, no. So this is so funny because I thought about this. So no, that's Powder. Oh, powder. And Phenomenon was the same kind of storyline. There's lightning involved in both, where all of a sudden a nor- Phenomenon is a normal guy, gets hit by lightning or something, all of a sudden knows everything, but also has like degenerative cancer all of a sudden. Right. Like a yeah. flowers for Algernon type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's, by the way, that thus endeth my list. So I, I had put taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, only because it's a very Travolta performance, which in the sense that it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of movies, I would love for him not to be in. Uh, and then I, I did forget one. I, I briefly mentioned it. So cage, uh, did you ever see adaptation with cage? Nope. When he plays, he plays the twin brothers. He got an Oscar nomination for it. And it's like a pretty okay movie. Actually, maybe I did see it. That's Charlie Kaufman's. Yeah. It's Kaufman and, uh, Meryl Streep. And then, uh, it's, it's actually not terrible. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not terrible. I'm think I'm confusing in my head with the one that uh, Will Ferrell did, where he's a screenwriter. Str- Stranger Than Fiction with Helen Mirren. Yeah, are they similar movies? Very similar. Stranger Than Fiction came out way, way later. Uh, but no, sorry, it's not. It's not Helen Mirren. It's um, somebody else that somebody I can't else. think of right now. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, Tilda, Tilda Swinton, I think Tilda Swinton. Well, I like her. Yeah, Stranger Than Fiction actually also is like one of the, that was one of those moments with Will Ferrell. I'm like, oh, you can kind of act. This isn't this isn't bad. That was a fun list, by the way. That was a very, very different kind of list this time. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the free form wheeling and dealing we're doing with these lists these days. Yeah, this one was kind of fun. I've, I, I like the angle we're going on in the less researched, more personal, because like I can't tell you the the angst that I felt having to put Travolta on this list that I kind of liked. I just got riled up. Like I actually feel a little riled up right now. I sensed <laughs> it. No, I, I can feel it over the over the Zoom. <laughs> Uh, okay, so for next week, we are going to do our top five favorite, so not best, but favorite soundtracks. And we're doing, and just to be clear, it's movie soundtracks, not movie scores. So it's not the Correct. not the themes. It's not the John Williams and the Hans Zimmers of the world. Right. It's the so songs. We're, we're leaning into JT, me, and, and not as far into JTU, because the scores will be something that you will nerd out very hard on. Soundtracks is something that I can tell you I already have my top three and there's no doubt. Like I'm ready for this one. It's going to be, it will be overly researched because I care, but doesn't require much because I already know. 
Fair enough. I, I'm. I think this will be actually more interesting than I than it'll be. A, it'll be an interesting journey to go on because I like movie scores, uh, soundtracks a lot as well, but I'm not as well versed. All right. The other thing we have to decide. I'm going to give you two choices of an mm-hmm. '80s movie to see if you'd rewatch. Now we asserted that you have seen Iron Eagle. Is that correct? Correct. So we're taking that. Okay. Um, so here are the two that are just currently at the top of the list. Um, one is Heartbreak Ridge. Okay. Uh, and the I, other, okay. No, all you get is title. So you either, you know, that's it. The other is the Philadelphia, like the Philadelphia experiment. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia experiment. Okay. Cause I think I've seen Heartbreak Ridge and I won't look into it just in case I haven't, but I'm pretty sure I have. Well, uh, let's do this. You should, uh, in in your own time, just do a quick Google to see if that the box art looks like a movie you've seen before or not. Yeah, that's as that's as that's as deep as I'll go. That's fair. That's fair. I'll take okay. it. Perfect. All right, Jerry. What was your favorite thing on Wingman this week? Well, my favorite thing, uh, <laughs> it's the kid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, go look through uh, your deleted email to find the wingman with a kid who's got chocolate on their face and enjoy the next like twelve seconds of your life. It. Yep. Yep. I've been saying yep all week. It's the same for me. That's my favorite. The, the, it was titled the, "This Little Girl Is Doing All the Right Things," and it's just a perfect internet clip, and I, I couldn't like it more. Nice. All right. Jared, well, this was um, we. This was a good face-off. I feel like we definitely faced off. Uh, I feel like I faced off. We didn't cage out as much, but uh, we'll we'll see. You know, Travolta is the worst. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm playing a weekend full of caging out. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody. 